Wind is dangerous, put it that way. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series, so I want to talk through just last week. Does anyone remember uh, last week's sermon? This is not a test on Micah. Last week's sermon, we were talking about Christ is our mission, and he talked about being on a mission, and I thought that was very helpful, and probably the main, main point that, we, that I took away from it was the phrase that he said that it said, the lesser mission always serves the greater mission. And then you're saying, okay, I'm kind of remembering this, but I think the story that you would certainly remember if you are here last week is when he was talking about he had a mission to go up the incline, and then he saw a man who had no legs, and his mission, his greater mission, was not just to get to the top of the incline. That's what most of the people, that was their mission that day. His mission was to make people awareness, uh, uh, aware of 22, every day 22 people from the armed services, veterans commit suicide, and it's just an astronomical number. And so that was his greater mission. So now all the pain and all the suffering of having, you know, just forcing himself up like 20, almost 2,800 steps had like a bigger purpose. And I think that makes some sense when we think about where we stand with Christ and you look at Jesus. Jesus came and you think like, why would he go through it? And why would he come to this earth? And why would he suffer? And why would he do all these things? He had a greater mission, right? This greater mission is to your salvation. Ultimately, as we look around, I mean, you're all on mission, right? We wake up in the morning and you'd say, okay, today I'm on a mission. And sometimes it's simple missions. Sometimes it's really a big deal. But if you just put in perspective, is my little mission today, is my mission line up with my greater mission of serving God? I thought it was really well done. So I, I was still thinking about that. So good job, Micah. He's not here. So that's when I compliment him. Uh, today's a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the strength of Christ and is Christ enough? And we, to get there, we have to do a couple things. So he's given us a little bit of a summary of Colossians, and I'm going to jump to this first verse, I hope. There we go. Um, so we're in the book of Colossians, and the, the, the thing that they're fighting against in, in the city of Colossae, the thing that they're fighting against is what we know as Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is kind of a tricky thing. Because Gnosticism is this blanket term for a number of different heresies that kind of get under this blanket. So when you say uh, Gnosticism, th that encompasses a number of different things around the world. And the, so I'm going to try and kind of break down how we get to this point. That it's something that started in the first and second century. And if you are a history person, it took me a long time to figure out. First century is like zero to 100 and then second century, 100 to 200. So the first and second century, we have this idea and it comes from Judaism and it comes from Christianity. The, uh, the main thing was this, that the material world is not that big a deal. What really matters is the spiritual. What really matters is the knowledge that you have in your head. This is a big, big deal. So now just imagine what would happen if you said like, this material world does not matter at all, how would you change your life if you said only thing that matters in this whole planet, the only thing that matters is what's in your head in the spiritual? How would that change kind of how you function? Usually it goes one of two directions if you want to know, right? So just like if you said to someone, who, uh, imagine this, you said to someone in college and they said, okay, attendance does not matter, what only matters is the tests. So people would go two different directions, right? You'd still have diligent people, both of them would show up, 
and they take notes diligently and they say, I'm going to do really well on the test. And the most of the people would say like, who cares? I am not going to show up to class one day. I'll get the notes from somebody. I'll read the book and I'll just show up for the test and, and do my best. Does that make sense? Okay. So this is what happens in the material world. It can go one of two worlds. If we say this planet, this stuff, the things of this world, are you getting, is that because of the wind? Um, does not matter. Usually it goes to what we call like an Epicurean lifestyle. That's a philosophy that says like just be happy. Or it goes kind of this idea of kind of gluttonous and do whatever you want. You might as well live it up with our bodies. So um, lots of eating, drinking. And you see that in some of the rituals of these early Gnostics. Some of the cults are very sexualized. They're, they're a lot of drinking. This is on the one end. The other side is, and if you, even now, if someone said the planet doesn't matter, they're going to do, they're not going to worry about taking care of it or anything like that, right? The other side is to become what they call, I got to say the word right, because I always, not aesthetics, that means it looks good, ascetic, there we go, all right, so ascetic, very similar word, but all that means is you get down and you're not going to worry about anything, including yourself, right? So you're not going to probably eat a lot, you might be a monk, like, off into, uh, you're, and you're going to deprive yourself. You're going to be stoic. You're going to probably just suffer in cold. Very likely, in a lot of these, they, they deprive themselves of any of the fleshly pleasures. We'll just put it that way. So, I mean, this is kind of the two directions you can go. One is, like, live it up, do whatever you want. The other is we're going to get really, really strict. We have no idea which of these groups are talking to the people of Colossae. But we do know we do, we do know that it's a huge temptation. I kind of want to walk through how can this be a big temptation to this particular group of people when we know that they have Christ Jesus. So this is Paul. This is where he's coming from, and he's trying to convince them that uh, you do not need this other stuff, if that makes sense. So the first thing we've got, this is our verse in chapter 2. Uh, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. So this is, this is a fact. He's saying, you already know. This is not new people. He's not trying to introduce them to Jesus for the first time. He's saying, you already have Christ. You recognize him as your Lord. You recognize that this is the one who your whole life and everything is built on. So then he says, this is my advice to you. And we're going to do this in four parts. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Of all verses, I think this would be like a perfect verse to put on your mirror at home. Like if you woke up and this was your motto for the day, okay? So we're just going to walk through a couple of these. Continue to live your lives in him. So he's saying, okay, I wake up. And I'm saying, I'm on my mission, right? My mission for Christ. And it's a simple command that says, don't just do it once. Like, hey, you did a great job. Continue to live your life, right? If you get married, this is something you could have, right? If you're married and it says, continue to love your spouse. It's not like a one-time deal. You show up and you're like, well, that went well. Right? In 15 years and 20 years. And you're not going to have those anniversaries if you just did it like one time. But this is this idea that says, all right you love Jesus, you know who he is, let's continue to function in this matter. Let's, let's like, like make this part of our life. This is what we do. So continue to live your life in him. And then he talks about this foundational aspect, which I think is very helpful. Rooted and built up in him. So that means like found your foundation. When you're looking about all these worlds uh, and find identity and find happiness and say like, what, who am I as a person? He's saying it's very simple. Like just root your ideas in Christ and then build anything you do up on him. Right? I feel like after this one like verse, I don't have to do much. So, uh, strengthen in faith that you were taught. So you spend time in God's word, you strengthen in faith. And then overflowing with thankfulness. This is kind of a key concept, I think. Uh, I talked to a number of people. People will call me and they'll say, hey, I'm struggling. And this is more and more frequent, and I've talked about that. I'm struggling with anxiety, and I'm struggling with depressive thoughts. These somehow go hand in hand. 
and they talk to me and they say, hey, what, what are some things that you would do? And I said, there's four things I would do. But the last of those four things I do is when you wake up, you spend time in God's word um, and you, you, you make a point of this. You have some kind of warning ritual. But the last thing I tell people is just find something that you're thankful for. Now, this sounds really hokey, right? And you could see the same advice if you watch some kind of TV show. But when you have something, how long does it take to you before you're kind of done with it? Don't think of people right now. Don't think of people. That's, that's, but how long does it take? So you, you're really excited and you get a brand new car. How long does it take before you're kind of over the new car? Depends how nice it is, right? <laughs> does it have four-wheel drive? I mean, that takes like a month. If it doesn't, takes like two days, and then you get the car payment, and then you're like, ooh, I'm kind of over this car. Has that ever happened to you? You get a new shirt, and you're loving the shirt, and you wear it every week, for, you know, to preach in every Sunday, and then suddenly someone talks to you, and you're like, hey, is that a new shirt? You're like, this old thing? I haven't even thought about it, right? Like, it, it, you're kind of over it, and especially in our society. We're, we're a culture that always is looking ahead. So I guarantee, okay, uh, in your closet, which would you rather put on, a brand new shirt or one of the plethora of shirts that you already have. Doesn't it feel good to put a new shirt on? I've said this before. My favorite line in the Superman movies is when Lex Luthor was talking about how rich he was. He said, I get to put in on a new pair of socks every single day. And for a kid who got like hand-me-down socks, this was the greatest moment. I said, I want to be filthy rich so that I can buy socks. Like, this would be the ultimate, right? Because you just get over stuff, you're done with it. Now just move it to anything, uh, move it to anything, like your dog or whatever you're talking about or your spouse. When you have something, is it easy to take it for granted? And just kind of move on to the next thing. So I'll give you a short example, and then I'll give you a real example. A um, short example is we, we got a kitchen sink, and I thought, you know what, we should get a new faucet, and I can get one of these hand pump things. Line was covered when I first moved into the house, and I wanted to get one that was built in because it looks really clean. Because otherwise, you've got to have the bottle on it. Does anyone like having the bottle on their sink? Unless it's from Myers, because it smells really good. But most of the time, we don't like to have this bottle. So that's me. So I, and I had this idea this morning. I, you know, I lived with this. This was great. And it had this bottle that you had to screw in from the bottom. Does anyone have one of these? Okay. Can anyone fill it from the top? I never figured that out. I would do that, and i get my soft soap, and then it would like go look like a lava experiment, and then the air has to get out, and I'm trying to pump it from the bottom. So finally, I just unscrewed the bottle. I fill it up with my soft soap or whatever the stuff is called, and then I have to try and screw it on the bottom here. But it's like a two-hand job, but I don't have room for like my shoulders to fit in there. And so, so i got to kind of like somehow hold it and balance it. It takes like five minutes to fill soap, which seems ridiculous, right? So I got this idea. I took my camelback that it wasn't using I took the tube from it and I put it on the bottom of it and then I put it into the giant soft soap container <laughs> I couldn't be more excited like this is this just happened this morning and I'm like pumping and it took like 30 pumps and then I'm like here it comes here it comes I've got the soap and Amy walked in right at that point I was elated it was like the best day of my life and how long do you think I'm gonna still be excited about my soap dispenser Probably 15 years. That's where it's going to be. Like, that's, that's going to be. But there's this thing. You move on, you move on, you move on. And so what Paul is trying to say that you have Christ, right? You're not still looking for something. You have him. And I want you to just recognize how important it is to be thankful for that. And when you're thankful for something, it's hard to like, move on to the next thing. If every morning you say, I am so thankful I have this job, it's a little easier to appreciate your job, right? It's, if I'm so thankful that, that my spouse is here, 
I, you know, every day there's a certain joy that comes with it. I'm so thankful for this. Or, or even the mountains, right? I've got a friend who's a pastor, so we live by the mountains, and once in a while we take the mountains for granted until someone visits from out of state. I'm from Wisconsin, so whenever anyone comes, they're like, wow, these are amazing. And they're right out my door, and some days I bet I don't even look at them until someone comes and says how amazing it is, and you're like, wow, these are really amazing. My friend moved from um, Missoula, Montana. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he's a friend I talk to all the time. So he moves from Missoula, he moves to Wisconsin, and there's no mountains around whatsoever, and he's a big mountain biker. And every time I talk to him, okay, not quite, three quarters of the time I talk to him is like three times a week, he starts telling me about how he misses the mountains. And so what do you do as a pastor? I say, dude, deal with it. You took the call, and now this is the reality, right? I learned that in sensitive you know, pastor training that I took at the seminary. But what, what are we trying to say? Like, you can't change it. Just appreciate the things you do have, right? Like you have bugs and mosquitoes and humidity, right? Enjoy those things and embrace those things. <laughs> so, so where are we getting at? So Paul has, he's talking about a big thing, and then I'm going to talk about where the people are susceptible, and I think this is where it'll make some sense. So his advice now, his fear is that they have Christ, they're not going to be built up in him, they're going to forget who Jesus is, and they're just going to move on to the next thing, like so move on to the next thing. So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental forces of this world, rather, and we're going to get that in a second. The word we want to look at here is this is why we believe this is the Gnostic group. So philosophy, if you talk about Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love, right? So philio in, in Greek means love. So this is the love of sophistry, which is wisdom. So it's saying... Um, don't follow these people who just love like this outside head wisdom. And you're like, why does he even have to say this? Okay. Do you have any goals in your life? And I'm going to give you a real obvious one. So maybe you want to go a little bit better in your job, right? And uh, you want to do a little bit better as a dad, or you want to do a little bit better as a spouse, or you want to do, um, you know, a little bit better in whatever kind of exercise you do. Most Americans, and it feels like I talk about this all the time, but most Americans, if you said, hey, how do you feel about your weight? They would say, ah, wouldn't mind moving, uh, losing that extra 10 pounds, right? It's always 10 pounds. I don't know why that's so magical. Like, I don't know if people have like sticks of butter and they think like one, two, three, four, 10 of those, those would be perfect. I got to get rid of these. But there's this idea that I want to lose the last 10 pounds, right? So you could work really hard. I've talked to people. They just, I'm like, hey, looks like you lost some weight looking good. And they're like, well, wish I could lose the last 10 pounds. Right? Does this happen to anybody? Nobody, apparently. So, except for Melanie. So, Melanie, we'll just talk to you for the rest of the sermon. So, so what happens, though, it, it, people are doing work really hard, right? They change their diet or something. They're walking a bunch, and they're doing all these kind of things, and it's working out right, and then they kind of hit this roadblock, and at that moment, they're pretty vulnerable. At that moment, they're saying, here's my goal. I've worked really hard, and I've got to here. What would it take to go just a little bit farther? So then someone talks to them, and you tell me if they would listen, if someone says, you know what you need? Uh, you need to do keto, or you got to do intermittent fasting, or you gotta, got to get on this program, or you got to do Nutrisystem, or you've got to sleep more, or you've got to cut out alcohol, or you have to you know, only eat once a day, and you know, only eat in the morning, or eat 25 times a day to keep the metabolism burning, right? You're at a point, though, where your goal is still not there, and you're right here, are you vulnerable to someone to say, okay, if you just did a little bit more, I think you could get it? Now think about your job, right? Why is it that guys in the major leagues take drugs? I think it's pretty obvious. They've worked really, really hard. They've got this far, and someone says, what would it take to go a little bit farther? And they go, 
hey, man, this is what you need. Like, they're, they're vulnerable at that spot. And sometimes in it, you talk about peer pressure. That's ultimately what peer pressure is. Someone feels like they're part of a group. They feel like they're making it. They feel like they got something. And then someone says, well, if you want to be cool, I mean, they don't quite spell it out this whole way. You got to do this. And in their mind, they think, well, I got to have the right clothes or I got to do the right things or I got to hang out with the right friends or I got to make fun of this former friend that I had. You know, all these things are just one little step to try and get what you want. These are all things we can see. Right? I can see at you know, 40, my metabolism slows down. I can see that. How would it feel? This is brand new Christianity. And we don't have this Bible, and we don't have all these stories. There's letters being passed around to these towns, and someone comes to them, and they're wondering about their relationship with God, and is Christ enough? And someone says, you're almost there. You almost got it. This is all you need. This is a secret, special knowledge, and come follow me. This is where the Corinthians are at. And so Paul is, is freaking out. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not like you almost got there. You already have it. So the whole basis of what he's had. He says, see to it that no one keeps you captive through these hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For Christ, for in Christ are all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. He, look at that. He's talking about the Gnostics. They're saying the body is bad. And he's saying Christ is right there. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Like there is nothing else beyond him. Like this is it. You've got the right track. You're on the right thing. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep, you don't have to shift gears. You don't have to change lanes. He says you got the right thing. We skipped the section in the middle and he said, because this is the kind of God we have. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Maybe just paraphrase this. Paul's... We're going to back up and then in, in hit here. Paul's saying, okay, you already have Jesus. Build your life on him. Find your hope in him. Make your decisions in him. Be joyful in him. Don't get tracked by some other person who's whispering in your ear that says you're going to have satisfaction if, he says, you have Jesus. Because when you were dead and damned and separated from God, when you were that person, here comes Jesus. And when you felt all alone and wondered where I stand with God, it's not like I'm almost there. You were it, like dead and you're like drowning down in this lake of despair and you look up and you see this light and that light is Jesus. And that light is the fullness of God in a bodily form. God who created the world, who made everything said, I am going to come in Jesus to make this happen. And you're saying, well, what about my debt? And what about my guilt? And what about all this stuff that I bring? And what about like all my questions? And he says, you know what he did with that? He nailed it to the cross completely. You don't need to do a little bit more. You don't need to like do just a little bit more and follow this other philosophy and do this other ritual and get involved in these other people. He says, because Christ has already done it. Every one of your sins, completely gone. Nailed to a cross. How strong is our God? After he wins, it says he disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them. Most people believe that this is direct connection of the descent into hell. So what does he do? He goes to the devil and his minions. He goes right into hell and the bowels of hell and says, look, I won. I am strong enough. 
I am perfect enough, I am full enough, so that you could be strong enough and perfect enough and full enough. Guys, quit chasing all this other stuff. The God we have is enough. This is hard, I think, especially for guys. You know, I talked with kids. Um, how many guys here have more than one hammer? Right? And I, I've said this before, but if it comes in one size, guys don't want it. You can go to the store, and the, the Dyson vacuum is for women. That's not for guys. They have one size. It's colored. I mean, what guy would buy a purple vacuum in his life? We go to the store. How many shop vacs options are there? There's like 43, right? There's like seven of them across. The thing. You're like, I need that one. And how many cars do we have, right? There's bigger engines. I just looked up, I bought my grandpa's truck, uh, 1976 Scottsdale. I'm going to pick it up in October. It's the only truck he ever had. It was born the year I was born, which is really awesome. And so I'm going to try and get it running and get it functioning. It was running before, so maybe I'll just make it not run and then run it so I can tell this dramatic story of raising it from the dead. But I go to look at which one I have, and there was like six different options for engine sizes. Why? Because you need the right tool for the drive. You need something big enough to do what you want. And you probably are asking as women, you're wondering like, why don't guys just get the biggest thing every time? Because our garage is only so big. And if you get the biggest lawnmower, you don't have room to buy other stuff. Like that's rule number one. And rule number two is the bigger it is, the more it costs. And if it costs more money, it can't buy more tools, right? Like this is like, this is a, they're at odds with each other. So every time we go, we're looking at the shop back. Every one of us wants the best one, but we're like, and I can't get a bigger drill. So what do I do? When you talk about where we stand with God, right, this is a hard thing to know, like, that Christ is absolutely enough. And God says, I want you to lay down your piddly efforts and whatever problem you have, and you don't have to chase all these other things. The God that we have is absolutely, completely enough. And how much does it cost? It cost us his life for you. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a blessing it is that we look at what you've done for us. We look that you are absolutely strong enough. We don't need these other philosophies. We don't need to chase after other things. A simple truth that you are completely full and you make us full in you and that you came in bodily form to this earth so that we stand with you. So help us to uh, give thanks for that. Help us to build our life on you. Help us to be strengthened in faith in you so that we can go out in this world and live the way that you've called us to live on a mission. Amen.